1: I grew up in two worlds, but I didn't fit in either world because I was too black to be white and too white to be black. I had to find what those worlds look like for me.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Whatever you're doing right now, I want you to stop and I want you to know that I'm so grateful for your time, that you're listening into another episode of this podcast. I take that very seriously because you guys are devoting time week in, week out to bettering yourself so that you can improve and become the best version of yourself. Well. I hope that throughout these podcasts that have been released, that you're learning something new, you're getting breakthroughs in your own life, or you've been able to help someone else in your life, because that's what this is all about. So I want to say a big thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, I'm very excited for our next guest to come onto the podcast. He's a friend of mine. His name is Joey Williams. Some of you may have heard his name uh, around the grounds on a rugby league field. He used to play for the South Sydney Rabbitohs many years ago. He also transitioned into a successful boxing career. But besides all of that, he's a First Nation man. Uh, I want to talk to him a lot about that in this episode around being an Indigenous Australian, what that upbringing is like, what the culture is like, how he finds spirituality, what it means to be grounded in the Australian land, what that means to him as an Aboriginal man. I also want to talk about his background and his struggles along the way with mental illness and addiction, but he's a great man. I've spoken alongside this guy in, in multiple countries, but today I really want to dive deeper into his background as a First Nation man, but also the impact that he's having on his own community out in Wagga and his backgrounds in Dubbo. But without further ado, let's get him onto the podcast. Welcome joe williams
1: in a while brother Hope you well, mate
0: i'm well i'm well what about yourself mate looks like the corona has got the better of your hair mate
1: just woke up on I mean, other side of the world everything's really good man like everyone is obviously going through different things that they're going through but the whole lockdown which has kept me home obviously the work that i do on the road is has been smashed and you know i get and understand that that a hell of a lot of people financially being wiped and it's super challenging for a lot of different people, but I'm actually in a really, really good spot. I get to be home with my family more. And if I'm honest, like Aboriginal people, we've been hustlers forever. So being told we can't go places and being, being watched in what we're doing, that's a life thing for us. It ain't nothing new.
0: What I'm hearing you say, Joe, you've adapted quite well to the the adverse times that the world is in right now.
1: Right from the beginning, I challenged people, and this is what I said to myself, is that there were three key words that I was going to use and implement in the way I looked at things, and it was adapt, innovate, and grow. So adapt to what you're doing and how you're doing it, innovate what you're doing and how you're doing it, and just grow in the situation. I was taken off the road, but you know, it's been a great thing for me because it's kept me home with my kids. I've been a dad for nearly 16 years, but I've never been a father. I've never been there for my young ones, never. And in past relationships, and, and people who know me and know my story is that I've got five kids to three separate relationships. And, and that was because I was married and then separated, repartnered, separated again. And so there was two kids when I was married and then I was separated, had another child and then I separated again and I've got another two kids. So in the early days, when my, my two oldest ones who are almost 16 and, and 14 now, that's when I was playing footy. I was in the height of my addiction days. I wasn't home a great deal. You know, I certainly wasn't present when I was home. Uh, and then, you know, I went through that separation and then same sort of thing. You know, I was going through the heights of, of mentally where, you know, I was at the most torment in my life. So that then that separation happened. And then with the two little ones that i got now, like the lockdown period where they weren't allowed to go to school. So my little fellow is just in kindergarten. And then the younger one, Frankie, she's only almost three. I never had to stay home and be a dad. Never. And I was forced to because Courtney was a childcare or she's a childcare worker. So she's an essential worker. So she had to go to work and and I had to stay home with the kids. And whilst a lot of people might think that that's odd to hear that or even say that, is that it's not that I didn't have the responsibility of being a father. It's that I shirked on it. I shirked on it a stack load. and, And that's because I didn't know how to be one. Like if I could push that responsibility, I would
0: was it pushing the responsibility because you're also scared that you didn't know how to be
1: a father or most definitely it was fear right one of the most powerful conversations i recently had with my own dad it was like if i was critical on my dad for for not doing those things as i grew up you know being there and i said to him i said i wanted the dad like a lot of other kids had that was always around and always lovable And and but then I can't be critical of my dad because he never had one. He lost his dad at nine year old. So it was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life with my dad, with anyone that it happened to be my dad. And I said, like, I don't want that. You know, I'm going to draw the line in the sand. And and my dad did the absolute best that he could for me. I can't be critical of that, again, because he never had a dad. I want to be different. It's not I want to be better, it's I want to be different. I want to be that dad that's there. and. I've only just learnt how to do that. and that's through going through my my own processes of healing. for me it's it's been a challenging but super, super beneficial and beautiful time.
0: How important has your own inner work been on you know on the solidarity of your family and the growth that and innovation and the things that have happened within the family over especially over the past say four to six months given what we've, you know the time that we find ourselves in?
1: It's been great on me personally i'm a better person i'm a better partner i'm a better dad i'm all of that i understand the triggers that it takes me to different places mentally emotionally and internally and this is me being super vulnerable right now is that is that i look back and and think my three older kids missed out on that which is super hurtful for me and It's hard to say, man. It's hard to say because you because you want absolutely everything for your own kids to experience everything with their parents. And I can't sit here and say that I have. It's been super challenging for me, which has brought about some growth, which, you know, I get to continually work on that to become a better person.
0: You know, that's the beautiful thing about it though, Joey. I mean and you've been able to navigate through your own journey, through your own inner work and uncoverings of triggers and and what works better for you and how you operate as a human being but how that is going to be better for for your family now and, and into the future and it's better you know doing something now and not doing it at all you know in the future that's a massive win in itself especially when we find the flip side problem that people are facing right now is being cramped up inside their home with their entire family and they don't know what to do
1: they don't know how to cope our brain is wired to go to negative straight up. It's super easy to find all the bad things that are happening. But for me, like I invite people to, to sit back and go, what are some of the good things? What are some of the benefits? Like my kids have had me at home. Like, like you know, the work that I do, I was doing the last five or six years on the road, I, I was never home. I'd go out Monday morning and be back Friday night, if not Saturday morning, and then go again Monday. So I'm, I'm at home for a day and a half, two days with my kids. And when I'm there, like super tired, so I'm, I'm not going to be present. No.
0: You weren't your full self when you were there for 24 to 48 hours anyway. So it's been a blessing in disguise, mate, by the sounds of it.
1: I can't see a, a negative in any of that from my personal perspective. And, and we look at you know, everyone that, that are finding challenging times in this period, then it's probably challenging because we haven't done the work. We haven't done the work on ourselves you know, internally to be able to identify what it is is happening, uh, which then we're projecting onto other people.
0: Mate, very well said, very well said. And obviously, I've been very fortunate enough to speak with you in quite a few places around the globe in terms of delivering mental health and suicide prevention keynotes and whatnot and be involved in events. And we've been in the gym a few times too, mate. you show me a few left rights, give me a couple, showed me out a box. But, mate, outside of all that, I mean, having your own journey, and, and we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit in a moment, but having and coming from your own mental health journey you know, having breakdowns and triggers in your own life and certain monumental turning points that sort of changed your life. How has it been managing a, you know, a family of, you know, five kids, yourself, a partner, and, and the other relationships that are obviously, you know, the mums of some of the kids? And, and how, how, how has that journey been? I haven't really been able to speak to you about that much, mate. And I think that's a, it's something I'd love to learn.
1: I break my journey, my personal journey down into into two parts, you know, or, or many different parts. But, but you look at pre-suicide attempt and, and, and post-suicide attempt and what I was like back then to what I'm like now. You know, it's, it's been well documented as well that I've had my struggles with addiction. And, you know, when when I'm inside the rooms of AA, it's like what it was like, what happened, and then what it's like now. I'm a different person to what I was then. It's because of the work that I've done internally and that means I can I can get on with the mothers of my kids you know we'll have our challenging times like anything because that's just the chemistry of of people and the makeup of people but I'm at a point as well now is that whilst I was you know going through I was going through back then how I can deal with that now with with my little ones or with my older little ones my boy's almost 16 now and he's and my girl she's 14 and they're at the pointy end of, of decision-making in, in their life or, or probably the first first major decision-making things in their life, you know. So able to help them navigate that because of my experiences is, is something that's a blessing to be able to do. Having
0: gone through your own mental health journey, your suicide attempt a few years ago, uh, your battle with addiction, as you mentioned, it's, it's very well documented. What are the conversations like with a young family like that? Having gone through your own stuff and being such a, an advocate for mental illness and, and First Nation people and, you know, the communities, what's those conversations like at the dinner table for you with your family?
1: I think the important thing is, is that you can't expect others to live through you. You know, whilst I'm, I'm lucky that I identified that I had an, an addiction issue and problem with alcohol, problem with drugs, which turned me into a different person. It's important that, that you don't live that journey through other people or expect them to live their journey through you. All I can do, and, and my kids are at the age now where almost 16 and you know 14. Man, I know what I was doing at 16 and 14. They're at some decision-making times, and again, I can't walk around and wrap them up in cotton wool. I don't want them to do the negative things that I went down, but all I can do is shed experience and give them tools to not wanna go down that path. Looking at, again, the genetics of addiction and the processes that that can happen as well. So it's just educating young people and helping them be there and helping them work through, again, circumstances that they don't know about because they've been born into Um, when we're looking at genetics and even trauma, trauma that cellular we're we're born with as First Nation people as well. It's about educating young people that and, and also giving them tips and tools to be able to navigate their way through that
0: and it's an important topic that you raise i mean given that the work that you do especially you know you're very sought after and well known in your local community you know in Wagga, and you know all the great work mate that you've done over the years for first nation people and now you're talking about trauma how important is that education what's the massive difference when we're talking about people let's call it white versus indigenous australians
1: yeah i think i think it's important as well is that is that whilst i'm a first nation man like i i I deliver to to all people because we only make up less than three percent of the population so uh i wouldn't be working a great deal which would fit into the stereotypes that people talk about when it comes to you know only helping you know my people because we're learning to walk together that's the biggest challenge now uh, as a country, is that we're learning about each other finally crossing over? We're learning about each other. Is that what you mean? No, I mean that for 250 years you've never been taught about us. Yeah, correct. So for 250 years we've only been taught about you. It's about sitting down at our table now and 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 learning to walk in two worlds for our people, but also learning and educating non-indigenous people what it's like to walk around with you know with coloured skin you know, that can be challenging in itself. And we're, we're seeing different circumstances right throughout the world and an uprise. And I think I want to believe, because I do think this is that, is that there is change and it's ever so slightly and ever so slowly, but I, but I do believe it's happening.
0: What sort of change are you referring to, mate?
1: Learning about each other and, and adapting to what and why. Like I, I always say to people, don't look at what, look at why when it comes to behaviors. And, and the first thing we do is judge on people's behaviors yet we don't understand why the behaviours are happening. Negative behaviours and stereotypical behaviours, a lot of that stuff is, is coming from a place of trauma. When we look at the suicide rates for First Nation people out here, and even... And even First Nation people and Native people around the world, it's such a similar thread. How I describe it to people, it's struggling to walk in two worlds. And, you know, I've I've keynoted the World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference a couple of times now, two times over a number of years. Both times that, that we've come out of that conference, Native people from right around the world, we've come out of that conference saying First Nation people aren't dying from mental illness. First Nation people are dying from colonization. You know and and the effects that colonization has had on our people um and again it's learning to walk between two worlds because we are walking in two worlds and we have to learn to adapt to it a lot better than we are and what we have been
0: very well said and and again you're giving me information that i'm i don't know a great deal about so i'm very very grateful that you've been able to share this stuff with me on a very deeper level
1: i'm a huge believer in we educate through education obviously when we educate people, people have to want to listen. People have to, you know, when we look at what the assimilation policy was for for Aboriginal people out here is that we were forced to live a certain way of life. And if we didn't live that way of life, then some horrific acts happened to us. And, you know, that's how we've ended up a lot of the time or what the way we are, we were a spiritual people for a hundred thousand plus years that worked in community and worked with the land. Now we've been separated, segregated, and, you know, pushed into a way of life that has been uncomfortable for us. It's about learning to live that new way of life, but also holding on to the, the values of the way that we used to live. You know, you have a look at certain things that are happening out here. I know you've been away for a while, but um, certain things that are happening out here, like like the bushfires, you know, there was, with the hazard reduction and backburning that, that our people used to live with and live by and still continue to do, a hell of a lot of that, horrific effect of what the bushfires happened with could have been negated by learning to live by aboriginal practice you know and and again it's a special elder he said to me he said um that fire is uniting our country and i was like what do you what do you mean it's uniting our country like he's like people are going to start to look at our ways now he said we have to learn that fire is our friend not our enemy fire can be used in such beneficial ways rather than waiting it and then it just all scorching.
0: Mate, on that note, what what do you think? And and, and just to go back a couple of moments, an interesting point. What what do you think was and it still is probably the key barrier to having the two worlds sort of collide in a way where it's symbiotic, where people can understand what's happening. I understand that education's a big part of it, but what what is the big barrier?
1: The education's there now. The education's there now, mate. And I'll say something that's super confronting to a lot of people, but I believe it's white supremacy. And and people go, hmm, what do you mean by that? Well, white supremacy isn't racism either. White supremacy is the ideology that the white race is above other races. Now, when the first people got off the boats out here, they told their kids that the native people were useless of no good and were useless to mankind. And then they told their kids that and they told their kids that and then they told their kids that and they told their kids that and here we are sitting now today. You know, so whilst we have the education there, there is still that element of belief that there is a superior mentality when it comes to First Nation knowledges. No, you don't know that, we know that. You know, farming practices, we farmed the land for thousands of years. What we did worked. Now we're, we're sitting out here, you know, struggling in farming practices without sitting down with a first nation person and saying how'd just do it? Going back to some of the topics that you and I talk about mental health, right? The meaning of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Now you got to start to question so the insanity of some people that don't want to listen and don't want to learn from people who have lived in the same harsh climates in the same barren country for a hundred thousand plus years and it worked don't come at me and say that you just didn't invent the wheel Well, what do we need the wheel for it's a mentality of seniority or superiority when it comes to knowledge-based systems that people think that they're above another person. I've had, it, I've had it in my, you know, I, I've had to go out and get myself educated in the white academic world to be noticed because of, you know, some of my knowledges and, you know, that's a process that I'm, that I'm still doing and, and continue to do and continue to grow. Why? Because I want to be seen on a level playing field. And at the moment, without the pieces of paper from the white world, I won't be. It's still not a level playing ground. No way. You only have to have a look at the statistics around deaths in custody, the statistics around racial profiling. When it comes to racial profiling, you see that people have an ideology of what somebody does or what somebody will do based on their race.
0: Yeah, based on colour. It's the same as over here in the States, man. It's huge, huge conversation at the moment.
1: It's exactly the same. It happens out here as well. Now, for me, I've got lighter skin, so I'm not subjected to it you know, as a lot of my brothers and sisters are. So again, we look back at what the conversation was at the World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference. It's not mental illness, it's killing us, it's colonization and the processes that happen during colonization, which I believe, and this is my belief, a lot of it comes from that white supremacy ideology.
0: And again, I just want to elaborate on that. So from the mental health perspective, if Indigenous Australians or Indigenous people from all over the world aren't dying of mental illness as opposed like to suicide from mental illness you're saying it's from trauma is that what i'm
1: hearing you say yeah well uh, they're, they're different different elements of yeah so going around and doing a lot of the work that i've done in the states as you know native american people are probably even in front of us when it comes to or leading us when it comes to the education and the knowledge and the delivery around the impacts of trauma of native communities and that's, again, my experience, the, the, the people that, that I've been with and, and sat with and, and, and shared story with. It's, it's not all doom and gloom. We are being the creators of our own healing in a lot of places. You know, Again, we look at the Western system of mental illness when we go and see psychologists and psychiatrists. And again, speaking from my perspective, being locked up inside psych wards, is that you get smashed with medication which numbs you down in the head which has absolutely no impact on the healing of what I needed at the time. You know, so so again, like we, we look at and I, I'm someone who, you know, completely different conversation or taking it a di- different direction but someone who hasn't been medicated for, you know, over four years versus someone who has... Had- heavily medicated for a long part of my life um and that's because i've learned to live without it by using natural ways that my old people my ancestors to manage it
0: and talk me through that because obviously medication is definitely going to work and be a combination as part of someone's mental health care plan or strategy to get back on track some people and medication just don't work and that's fine too but I'm not the person that would ever sit here and say, okay, medication's not, no good for anyone because I think everyone's very different. Everyone has their own uh, healthcare plan. I know you agree with that. Talk me through some of your community members, uh, the elders in your community, the conversations that you have on a day-to-day and the conversations that you've had throughout speaking and you know, building community and being in the community day in, day out, because this is what you do, right? This is what you're known for. This is what you, you, you pride yourself on. What are some of their mindsets like? in terms of if we were talking about this conversation right now and you were to go and have a, this same or a similar chat with an elder, what are their thoughts on white supremacy and white Australians and all that sort of stuff?
1: And where does it all stem from? It's two very different conditioned ways of living. You know, like the elders of our community with all of their strength and all of their leadership weren't allowed to do a stack load of what we're doing now. And a lot of them are conditioned to still not do that it's the young people that are that are taking up that fight and that and and they'll say to us go on bub you do it you you do it we got your back we we trust you we know what you're doing they were conditioned to a certain way of life where they weren't allowed to they were taken from their homes and taken off our families and conditioned and put into catholic missionaries and and told to live a certain way of life and not live a cultural way of life you know and this happened for many years and and Again, the conditioning to that is still very, very evident today. But when I sit and talk with elders, because they miss out on a lot of the stuff that we're speaking about too, this is only the eastern coast or, or for the communities that I work in. I'm not speaking for any other Aboriginal community. Um, this is only the communities that I live in and, and work in. A lot of the elders had a lot of that taken away from them. So they understand the importance of it and they understand the importance of the reintroduction of it. Now, some of those elders are adverse to it because they're conditioned to not be allowed to talk to it again, remember? We had the first corroboree, so the first celebration dance here in Wagga. And I live in Dubbo at the moment, but work in Wagga over a weekend, right? Um, and so I'm here in Wagga at the moment. But uh, we had the first corroboree celebration in Wagga for 150 years. And that was that happened last October. And there were elders in that community that, when we come in to start dancing and if, if, if you or anyone's ever seen the footage of it, it was a powerful, powerful evening. We had elders that night, just break down crying because they'd never seen it, but they'd always heard about it. They'd heard about it from their grandparents. And you know, this is what our people used to do and travel across country and, and sit and celebrate for days and share with each other about, you know, share songs, share stories, share dance which was all about, you know, a big celebration of people coming together. They sat down and cried their eyes out because they'd never, they'd never seen that. On the flip side to that, it was a stack load. You know, if we had over 2000 people for the corroboree here in Wagga back in October, 75% of them were non-indigenous people that come out and sat and shared with us. There were tears from them too, because they were like, wow, this is beautiful. Why haven't we seen more of this? And we're like, well, we haven't been allowed to. It's a time to bring it back now. And, and one thing I have noticed, Sam, is that there's been a super thirst for non-Indigenous people wanting to educate themselves or just wanting to experience what it is and why it is our people have lived with the land for so long. And I say with the land. I rarely say we lived on the land. I say we lived with the land because, you know, we were a part of the land. Uh, as well, when it comes to nature and and you know everything that comes with it. So I do see change ever so slowly, but it we've waited 250 years. It doesn't need to be fast, you know. We just you know we just need to continue laying the platform for our younger people now to be able to you know help unite a better conversation in the future. People talk about reconciliation all the time, right? I don't even use the term reconciliation because. You know, to reconcile is to heal a broken relationship. Let's be honest, man. We've never had a relationship. It's all been one way. You have to live this way, and if you don't live this way, we're going to kill you. You know, we're going to massacre your people. It's time we start a conversation, man. It's time we start a relationship.
0: Yeah, and I think I think you've nailed it, mate. I think you've you've said it perfectly. And I think you know, like you mentioned, it definitely starts with education, having an open mind, and if we're starting to see changes now, and they're maybe small changes, they're better making small changes now than not making any changes at all. And if we're moving in the right direction, it's it's always good. But we we must listen and we must learn together. And I'm a big believer of you know learning and 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 growing together as one, rather than you know. As oppositions or working against one another, you know what I mean, and talking about the conversation around mental illness and suicide prevention, and because that's the work that you and I have been doing for years now. But you know, when we talk about okay, let's break the stigma around mental health, let's talk about it more, let's let's give people the power to speak up and ask for help so that they can get back on track and and, and get well. Is that the same type of angle, the same type of conversation that you know when you're delivering? sessions or workshops with first nation with people in your community of your you know color race and everything like that or is this a whole different angle or a whole different perspective it's are are they fully okay with speaking out and asking for help uh you know like what's the differences there mate just so that we can sort of set that
1: straight depending on where we are in the country as well right and and you have a look at i've been fortunate enough to to deliver many sessions over many communities diverse and hugely diverse communities right throughout the country. Now, I go back to this conversation uh, a lot, right? Is that two significant conversations that happened to me in my life is that I was sitting on on country one night with with an elder and he said, I love what you're doing with the mental health around the country. He said, but I want to challenge you on something. He said, I don't believe that you're mentally ill. And I said, what do you mean by that? I've been told this by professionals for X amount of years. And he said, you're not mentally ill, you're spiritually ill when you heal your spirit, you'll get well. And and First Nation people are deeply spiritual people. That conversation was seconded when I had another sit down with an elder who said, when I was out on country, he said, you stick close to the stuff you learn out on country and you take that and you practice that in everything that you do, all your mental health problems will go away. What that second conversation was, was about healing the spirit. First elder said to me, you're not mentally ill, you're spiritually ill, you need to heal your spirit to get well. The second elder said to me, you stick close to what you do and learn out on country, your mental health problems will go away. They both, the, the, the conversations, they empowered each other.
0: Yeah, and they intertwine to a certain degree. But what is some ways that you've experienced or that you've explored or, or that you advocate in the communities ways that you can spiritually heal someone? Like, what are some ways? Like, what? Are, like, I talk about strategies and, and self-care strategies all the time, you know, exercise, journal, self-gratification, self-affirmations, rest, you know, all that sort of stuff. But how can you heal, would you say, a broken spirit or a damaged spirit? Like, how, how, how does that work?
1: I've sat with case plans numerous times that just say, go out on country for the weekend. Get away from technology. Get away from the four walls of the house. Go out and, and, and camp on country for the weekend. Sit around the old the old bush TV, mate. Sit around the fire and, you know, so many problems leave your mind when you're sitting around a fire. And, and, again, why do we do that? Why does it leave our mind when we're sitting around a fire? Because we're staring deep into the fire. What are we doing when we're staring deep into the fire? We're being present. We're being present. Form of meditation, form of mindfulness. Another conversation, I checked my uni lecturer when she said to me, you know, we've got to do uh, mindfulness, we've got to do meditation, we've got to do what they call earthing now. Um, And I'm like, hang on a minute. Like, you've just given me three different labels that my ancestors have been doing for thousands of years. All you've done is relabel what my people have done for thousands of years. And this is why, this is, again, the conversation as to why First Nation people around the world were spiritually well Prior to colonization is that, and again, in Australia, in over two and a half thousand different dialects of language, there's no meaning for suicide. So there's no word that means it. It tells you it wasn't there. If you can't describe what it was with a word, it tells you that it wasn't there. So if we've gone for 100,000 years with no suicide to now among the highest rates in the world in 250 years, what we're doing now is not working. What we did back then was working. Right, so talking back to the case plans of going out on country, what do we do we're around the country? All right, we're we're sitting around a fire, we're 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 listening to story, we're listening to elders, we're going out, we're hunting, we're cutting tools, we're you know we're doing stuff that's at one. we're doing stuff that's at one with the land again, something that we've always done. When we look at that, we look at the massive benefits of being present, living with our gut instincts rather our head it's the little things that helped us connect to who we are as you know, with our identity as, as people who we've always been. And again, it's separating living in those two worlds, right? Is that I grew up in two worlds, but I didn't fit in either world because I was too black to be white, too white to be black. I sort of, I had to find, what those worlds look like for me uh, and I'm lucky now that you know I, I navigate my way through those two worlds because I'm educated in both worlds to be able to live with a healthy spirit on country and go out and educate people in how to do that
0: and what, what man what do you what do you do personally if you're slipping down the rabbit hole do you have your own toolbox of, of tools to that you go to that you you sort of run down a list and see which ones work are working better for you at that given time
1: yeah, I do. There's been too many times for me, Sam, where I've looked in my revision mirror, and and you know the history of me, where you know living with suicidal ideation since I was a very young age. So, for me, the most important thing is that I get on country. There has been too many times for me to question it whether it works or not, because I've driven off looking in the my revision mirror, not knowing whether I'd come home or not been in a really really dark and dangerous place but it's happened too many times for me not to trust that anymore and the people around me say get this way get in the car and get out on country and you know I might go out there for one night two nights just sitting around a fire just being present with who I am getting away from this in my head listening to the nature putting my feet in the dirt you know and getting back and connecting to the way that I've always been being on country, it's so simple.
0: And, mate, it does sound simple too when you've got those tools very very clearly laid out and you know exactly what works for you. But, mate, I, I can even attest to even myself being in some of the, the hardest times and they all go out the window and then it's like, well, what am I going to do that works? And you're scrambling around and you're not sure. But, mate, it's really interesting to hear a lot of the similarities but also the rawness of how simple it could be to reconnect spiritually but also reconnect to improve your mental health and it all starts in a very simple place and it's great to hear your insight from a first nation man i think that's it's a it's a remarkable piece of insight that i've been able to learn today so i appreciate that
1: what's important to know sam as well is that i didn't have this for a long time i grew up in those two worlds as a young fella as i said I knew that I was Aboriginal and I was always spoken about strongly in my household and strongly in my community. But again, you hear the stereotypical views of, well, you're not one of the real ones or how much percentage are you? So you question it. And then I moved away as a 16-year-old to play footy in Sydney and I was caught up in that system, which very, very, very little identity in going out and being a rugby league star and, and, and drinking and taking as much drugs as you possibly can. There is no identity in that at all when it comes to being an Aboriginal person, culturally and spiritually. I was lost from that for 10 years in my life as well. And it wasn't until post-career, post-rugby uh, league career, post even boxing career, did I find who I was spiritually and culturally as a man.
0: There would have been a lot of confusion there amongst, you know, the highs of life, the lows of life, and, and not knowing how to connect and how to get – I'm sure there would have been times in your life where you – mate, and I know this from from knowing you and having conversations and hearing you speak, but – there would have been times you had no idea what what to do and that's you know that's probably why you had suicidal ideations.
1: Mate, 30 years. It took me 30 years to find who I was. You know, it's only it's only the last 6 or 7 years that I've just given away my age, but it's only been the last <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me to say it now. It's only been the last 6 or 7 years that I've found who I really am. You know, it's not that I ever shied away from being an Aboriginal man or ever shied away from connecting what it was like culturally. But what I thought culture was then to what I thought culture, what I know culture is now, two completely different worlds. You know, we, we think that culture is just dancing or, or celebrating NAIDOC week once a year. You can see in the, in the background and for the, for the people listening, some of the beautiful painting work that, that's done behind me. I'm sitting in one of the, one of the rooms in, in my parents' house. And we think that that's culture. Well, we think that artwork is culture. We think that didgeridoo or yiraki is culture. We think that clapsticks are culture. But a good close friend of mine, a good brother of mine, Mark Southern, he said to me, those paintings, those instruments, those clapsticks, those are the end product of culture. Culture is in the process to getting that. You see those beautiful paintings behind me. There is so much storytelling in those uh, those art pieces. Culture is the story of one piece of the artwork to the next piece and that's a journey and that journey what it looks like again for me is pre-football career then boxing career then suicide attempt then back to boxing career to then finding myself culturally spiritually mentally and emotionally as a person to who I am now that's three or four different paintings that make up the culture of who I am what people's perception of culture is is very different, but my perception is, is lots of little stories made up, uh, lots of little stories taught and told and the lessons in those stories that are
0: taught and told. I love it, man. And I'm so grateful that you've been able to share all of this with me. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've certainly learned a lot. And I learn a lot every time we speak and every time you know we're on the road or whatever. I know it's been a while now, mate, but what are you up to now? What sort of projects are you working on?
1: Whilst going around to communities around the country was perfect, but for me, I've tried to localize things and this has happened before COVID, trying to localize things and stick my feet in the sand a little bit into one place um, to try and get some impacting change, some sustainable change within communities. So I've, I've written a three-month trauma recovery program, which is ongoing. So it's three-month intensive work within you know ongoing work with that, uh, looking to roll it out. We're, we're just at the pilot stage now, just about to start in, in the next couple of weeks. We've taken some young people through that. And again, when we look at suicide and suicide prevention, our people are dying from the impacts of trauma and the behaviors that are coming out through trauma. So it's about identifying what those behaviors are, identifying where they come from and helping the young people get tips and tools to be able to navigate their way through a life that's tricky for them. So for me now, it's it's about implementing that trauma recovery program, which helps to find some identity and some connection with with a lot of these young people in different reasons. Um, You know, a, a lot of young people are missing that because their parents are missing that, because their grandparents are missing that. So it's about helping them find that. And it's not about telling them who they are, but it's about helping them find who they are. And again, this is something that First Nation or Native people will hear and will feel that spiritual pull when we're out on country, you know, country talks to us. And again, like some people may not understand that, and that's cool. They don't have to understand it. It's not for them to understand. Um, First Nation people, spiritually, something happens to us uh, in certain times of our life, and that's because of spiritually, we had a certain way of practice for thousands and thousands of years. So we're being pulled in different directions. It's about trying to align those two worlds, giving young people tips and tools to be able to do that, which helps them... Uh, neurologically overcome some traumas um, with, the, with the neuroscience of the brain but also give them tips and tools to be strong in their identity of who they are
0: yeah and it's, it sounds like an, an amazing program mate that you have been probably working tirelessly on to get to market and I'm, I'm excited to see how that pilot goes and I want to be able to share that with with our listeners um, with the living family so to speak so that we can get these messages far and wide how can people track you down mate how can people connect with you well and truly after this episode's end?
1: My Instagram and Twitter handles are Joe Williams underscore T E W for the enemy within. So Joe Williams underscore T E W, and on Facebook it's the enemy within suicide prevention and wellbeing education. Well, there
0: you go, guys. You've heard it from the man himself, Joey Williams, author uh, of the book Defying the Enemy Within, uh, founder of the Enemy Within, a great man, speaker, legend, all around. Big advocate for, for not only the mental health and suicide prevention spaces, but uh, also for, for his own First Nation people. And I'm excited to start seeing the gap getting bridged and uh, looking forward to connecting with you soon, mate.
1: Always a pleasure, Sam. Mate, um, love the work that you're doing over in the US, man, flying the flag and and the living crew have been doing some good things for, for a long time. So always a pleasure to connect, brother.
0: Likewise, mate. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon, hopefully on this side of the pond when things calm down. Catch you, mate. Thank you.
1: Hey, brother. Take care.
0: Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well. Keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you, and have a top day.
1: Imagine the softest
0: sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.